If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Welcome to Turning Point. Have you become so comfortable in your Christian life that it feels more like a playground than a battleground? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah shares from God's Word that believers' earthly life isn't about comfort, but combat. And he begins the series, Spiritual Warfare, to unpack the truth of the matter. Listen as David introduces his message, Are We Really in a War? Well, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to the month of June. I I know this is not actual, and it's not factual, but for me, summer starts June 1st. (laughs) And um, I think that's probably been true for me for my whole life, because school's out. We usually took a vacation as a family right after school was out, and summer began. Also, it was uh, the end of the cold weather for me. I grew up in Indiana and Ohio. Um, we had some cold weather in May, but um, when, when June came, it was pretty much it was pretty much warm all the way through till the end of September. So I'm glad that you joined us today. We're going to have a great week. We're going to have a great month. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And uh, as always, as we begin a new month, we have a brand new resource. This one I'm very excited about because we created this. It's an, it's one of our answer books, and it's called Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. And we've chosen from all of the teaching we've done over the years on this subject, excerpts, questions, and answers. It's a 218-page book, but it's not a huge book. It's not the size of the regular books we send out. Um, it's about four or five by seven, four or five by six. It's a small book you can stick in your purse. You can put it in your your um, book bag and carry it with you. Stick it in your car every day. Read just a little bit. It's not uh, one thought based upon the one before it. No, these are individual thoughts about spiritual warfare. Here's some titles from the first chapter. Why study spiritual warfare? Are we really in a war? Who are we fighting against? How can I be certain I've been called to battle? How could I be a courageous warrior for God when I feel powerless? And that's just one of four or five pages of items that are in this book. And they will provoke your thoughts, and they will help you. This book is yours for the asking during the month of June. And it's really important that we hear from you during June because this is the end of our fiscal year. That means at the end of this month, uh, we have to get our audit and, and get ready for the end of this financial time in our ministry. So your gift during this month is really important. We ask for your special help during December and June. And for your gift in June, we'll send you this book. I hope you'll help us, and we will delight to put this resource in your hands. Well, we began this month and this series with this question. Are we really in a war? Picture the idyllic countryside setting, wide blue skies, open green pastures, white clouds, warm summer temperatures, and people with picnic baskets and lawn blankets just looking for an interesting diversion from their workaday world. 
That's Manassas Junction, Virginia, a little burg about 25 miles outside of Washington, D.C. Today, the site of the Battle of First Bull Run is still a quiet pasture surrounded by trees and an old split rail fence. It was quite another ambience that marked that place in July of 1861. In the morning, it was indeed idyllic, delightful, and with soft summer breezes, wild flowers, and an air of expectation, even celebration. By evening, it was a house of horrors, full of screams and pain and death. No one had anticipated the horrors of war. Oh, yes, there was to be a battle. Everyone knew that much. In fact, the opposing armies had been gathering for some time. But how bad could it really be? I mean, folks seem to think this really wasn't that much of a war. The uniforms might have been different colors, but weren't they all American boys? <laughs> Surely this little dust-up wouldn't amount to much. Obviously, the bluecoats would quickly send their Confederate counterparts back to their homes. The rebellion would soon fizzle, and that would be that. Life would return to normal. So it was that buggies full of festive spectators traveled a few miles from the capital to watch the fireworks. Parasols opened. Ladies in lacy summer dresses settled themselves on quilts laid out on the ground. Curious onlookers opened picnic baskets and prepared to watch the show. No one expected what unfolded. By evening, hundreds of men on both sides lay dead in the pasture. Thousands of wounded moaned or screamed for help. No one had the stomach for a picnic anymore. And for long years, no one expected much of a good time either. War is like that. People think it's glorious until it hurts. And today, you and I are at war. Today, we are at war, every one of us, not so you'd notice. I mean, things are pretty festive on the outside, if you've watched lately. We expect tomorrow to be just like yesterday and just another day at the office. Life is good. And then our world explodes around us. Dazed and frightened, we wonder how right in the middle of our workday world our dresses get torn, our shirts get tattered, our souls get ripped to shreds, and our lives are filled with aching pain. It's called spiritual warfare. And my friend, that kind of war is no picnic either. <laughs> know it or not, like it or not, you and I are in a war. And we need to begin living as if it were the battle for our very lives because, in fact, it is. Many people today don't believe in the devil or spiritual warfare anymore. I've seen all of the surveys, as you have. Uh, they think this is kind of old hat stuff that modern Christians, even modern intellectuals, would never believe in anything that bizarre. Telling them about a civil war battle and relating it to the spiritual life is for them to look at you with their head cocked just a little bit and they start whispering among one another, wondering if you've been watching too much late night television. <laughs> Others vaguely recognize the presence of a struggle but they don't give it too much thought. I mean, yes, they think we find it difficult from time to time to practice our Christianity. We find it hard to forgive people. We find it hard to pray regularly, to resist temptation, to learn more about the faith. Yes, it's hard, but as far as they're concerned, that's it. They have never thought that their small struggles might be part of a larger campaign. However, the Bible 
this book that we study and that we cherish, the Bible takes Satan and his minions very seriously, declaring that our ultimate battle is a spiritual battle. And for this reason, nothing will be more practical or relevant to your life than the verses we will study over these next few weeks. What we need and what our passage provides is a realistic assessment of both the struggle we are engaged in and the weapons that we possess in order for us to be victorious. These are indeed the terms of engagement. Chapter 6, verse 10 begins with a call to battle. A.W. Tozier, the great preacher of another generation who wrote voluminously about our day in words that many of us who preach wish we could have said. A.W. Tozier said this, in the early day when Christianity exercised a dominant influence over American thinking, men conceived the world to be a battleground. Our fathers believed in sin and the devil and hell as constituting one force, and they believed in God and righteousness and heaven as the other. These were opposed to each other in the nature of them forever in deep irreconcilable hostility. Man, so our fathers held, had to choose sides. He could not be neutral. For him it must be life or death, heaven or hell. And if he chose to come out on God's side, he could expect open war with God's enemies. To fight would be real and deadly, and it would last as long as life continued here below. The Christian soldier never forgot what kind of world he lived in. It was a battleground, and many were the wounded and the slain. But then Tozier went on to say, here is the modern mindset. (laughs) How different it is today. The fact remains the same, but the interpretation has changed completely. Men think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. We are not here to fight. We are here to frolic. We are not in a foreign land. We are right at home. We are not getting ready to live. We are already living. And the best that we can do is to rid ourselves of our inhibitions and our frustrations and live this life here to the full. And the saddest symptom of all of this is that so many so-called Christians, there is the utter absence of anything like conflict in their Christianity. They eat, they drink, they dress, they work, they amuse themselves, they get money, they spend money, they go through a scanty round of formal religious services once or twice a week. But the great spiritual warfare, its strugglings, its agonies, and its anxieties, its battles, of all this they appear to know hardly anything at all. And yet when you say that, you have to wonder, what Bible have they been reading? (laughs) For when you open the pages of the New Testament, there are no shortage of passages that characterize the Christian as a warrior and the Christian life as a battle. Verses like 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. 2 Timothy 2.3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. 1 Corinthians 16.13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. And 1 Timothy 1.18, this charge I commit to you, Timothy, 
that you may wage the good warfare. Now words like these appear to me to be clear, plain, and unmistakable. They teach us the same lesson if we're willing to receive it. That lesson is that true Christianity is a struggle, a fight, and a warfare. The Apostle Paul begins this section in the book of Ephesians like any war general would begin his speech. He motivates his troops by instilling confidence in their hearts. For centuries, members of military units have done that, don't you know? For instance, uh, the Crusaders screamed, heaven at last. The French soldiers yelled, for the king and for France. And Paul's cry here is, be strong. Be strong. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is Paul's word of encouragement as he reminds his listeners, his readers, that our power is a gift from God. We are not asked to go into this battle by ourselves without any strength. It says, my brethren, in this war which we fight, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The Phillips translation puts it this way, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord, in the power of his boundless resource. The Christian is not commanded to be courageous in his own strength, but to be emboldened by the power of another, and that another is Jesus Christ. The strength and the power for the battle is the gift from the Lord, and that is a great encouragement to me. Once you understand you're in a battle, the first thing that will come to your mind is, I am not capable of fighting in this war. This is a tough war. And if all we had was the instruction to walk into the battle without any encouragement from the Lord, this would not be a very positive lesson. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. And Paul uses the same Greek phrase translated as the power of his might. Early in the book of Ephesians, we are told that this power is the power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. This power is great. Not even death can overcome it. It is resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you right off the bat that I'm going to tell you some things about this war we're fighting. Sometimes it's hard to find where the enemy really is. They stalk us and they come against us when we're least expecting it and the spiritual warfare is more like that than it is a conventional war. But I don't want to tell you about this without first of all telling you you are not ever going to be asked to fight this war in your own strength. You do not have to be afraid. God Almighty has promised that as you are his soldiers, he will protect you and keep you strong and ultimately you will be victorious. Not only is the power the Lord's, but in this passage, we also learn that there is an armor that we are to put on. Put on the whole armor of God, says the scripture. The armor is God's, and the armor we are to wear is the armor God himself has worn in victorious battles. I remember some years ago, we were having a debate in our community about whether or not the Christian should ever be involved in war. And you know, some of our Quaker friends believe that war is ungodly and that you should never be involved in war at all. They're what we call pacifists. And I was asked to present the scriptures that teach that sometimes war, though not something we want, sometimes it's necessary. And one of the greatest evidences of that, and for all of you soldiers and Marines and all the rest of us, is the fact that God himself was a warrior. 
In fact, in the Bible, we have many places where that is taught to us. Isaiah 11, 4 and 5 says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's sort of like a precursor to what we're going to study in the book of Ephesians. Later on in Isaiah, in the 59th chapter, we read, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and he was clad with zeal as a cloak. The Bible tells us that what we are going to be asked to do in putting on the whole armor of God is exactly what God himself does when he goes into the battle. He is giving us his own armor for this struggle, and we need not ever be discouraged. We have God on our side, and we have his armor that we are to put on for the warfare. And the call here is to be strong in the midst of a battle, and this is a word also that comes to us throughout the Scripture I'm reminded of one of my favorite passages in the book of Joshua where we are told three times within five verses to be strong. Joshua was told, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and very courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. And Joshua was about ready to lead the people of Israel against the unknown enemies of Canaan. And he was fearful. And the Lord God came to him with the same word which he gives us. The call to be strong is not new. Every Christian in every era, regardless of age or maturity, is called by God's word to be fearless. Letting fear or your own inadequacies keep you from the battle is not acceptable according to the Bible. God promises to strengthen you with his might. It is a gift and you're commanded to use it. Somebody say, well, don't I get to volunteer for this war? No. If you're a Christian, you're already in the war. You have been drafted. And nobody gets to escape it. You don't say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a warrior. Well, you may not be acting like a warrior, but if you're a Christian, you're in the army. And you're either going to help and fight, or you're going to stand in the background and watch everybody else do it and be dismissed in some respects as a player and be miserable in your own life. J.C. Ryle has written these words, The true Christian is called to be a soldier and must behave as such from the day of his conversion to the day of his death. He is not meant to live a life of religious ease, indolence, and security. He must never imagine for a moment that he can sleep and doze all the way to heaven. And this is one of the problems I have with much of the modern theology that we're being exposed to in this day. How many of you know that the modern theology is almost entirely about how we can make things better for ourselves, how we can get more money, how we can have more rest, how we can have better things, how we can do this and this. It's all about us. Where is the call from the popes of this land for soldiers to stand up and be counted for the things that are right? It's almost absent. In fact, it's so absent, it's unbelievable. What would happen in our churches if instead of having services where people came so that they could feel better about themselves and walk out with the warm fuzzies, what would happen if they came to church to be trained for their battle the week that is coming ahead of them? If they were taught how to fight the good fight of faith? 
Well, if we study the Bible, and this is what we try to do, if we preach the Bible, there will be a lot of that in the preaching. It's not just about making you feel better. It's about making you do better as soldiers of Jesus Christ. I love this story. This is a true story told of a guy named Jeff Lewis, a lowly supply clerk in the elite 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, receiving instructions to participate in a parachute jump. He complied immediately, but there was one problem. He had not yet been trained to jump out of planes. The clerical error notwithstanding, he fell into ranks, got his equipment, boarded the plane, jumped out of the plane, landed on the ground, shaken but unhurt. And when the error was discovered later, his only explanation was that he was doing what a soldier is supposed to do, obey orders. The army said, I was airborne qualified, Lewis said. I wasn't going to question it. (laughs) And that's the spirit of the godly soldier. This is part of the blessing of being a soldier and following the Lord. Your power is a gift from God. And your perseverance is guaranteed. Notice what it says in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, we are doing battle in life today against the wiles of the devil. That's not a word we use a lot in our culture, so let me tell you what it means. The word wiles means organized conduct, plans of war, or strategy, or methodology. And the Bible teaches us that Satan is attacking the lives and causes that would defeat his plans, and that is why all of us who are Christians feel so much of the effect of Satan's presence. He is not after those who belong to him. He is after those who want to defeat him. Satan's not going to bother the churches where they don't preach the word of God. They won't go anywhere, but he will leave them alone. Satan's not going to bother the people that he's already got on his side, those who don't know Christ. But Satan concentrates his efforts on people like you and me. That's his purpose. He does not want to do anything to upset those he already has on his team. His goal is to drown the influence of men and women who claim to know Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he has a strategy to do it. He has a method for doing it. The word wiles means that he has already strategized how he's going to pull this off. I personally believe that Satan has a strategy for every one of us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. And he will stop at nothing if he thinks he can victimize us for his own purposes. The Bible says that we are to put on the whole armor of God. We are not told to win the war because Christ has already defeated Satan on the cross. But we are told to stand firm in the battle. Look down at your Bibles again in the sixth chapter, and I want you to notice something. Ephesians 6, 11 that you may be able to stand. Ephesians 6.13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Ephesians 6.13, having done all to stand. Ephesians 6.14, stand therefore. One, two, three, four times we are told to stand. Paul wants Christians to be strong and stable and robust 
So even though the enemy is a frightening prospect, this paragraph should not give us an attitude of fear. The entire passage is filled with a spirit of confidence and hope as the reader is left not with a feeling of despair, but with the sense that Satan can be defeated. Amen. We are, we are victors. We are overcomers. Uh, ultimately, we win this war. But the battles that we fight each day depend upon our following the strategy laid out for us in the plan, which is the Word of God. We'll have more about this question, are we really in a war, tomorrow, as we continue our discussion of spiritual warfare. Along with the uh, resource that I told you about at the beginning of today's message, we also want to just make available to you again, we've done this before, a copy of the Warrior's Prayer. Uh, this prayer helps you put on the spiritual warfare every day. I got a letter uh, just a couple of weeks ago from a from a, f- a single father who told me how tough his life was. But he said, my little boy and I, we start at the top of the stairs every morning and we say the warrior's prayer all the way downstairs. When we get up every morning, that's how we start the day. And I thought, well, you know, that's a pretty good way to get started, especially in this culture when every day can be like a battle. We'd love to send you this little warrior's prayer. You stick it in your Bible, keep it where you can use it. It's absolutely free. All you have to do is ask for it when you get in touch with us today. And don't forget to join us tomorrow for part two of Are We Really in a War? For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current teaching series, Spiritual Warfare, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's filled with strategies for fighting the forces of evil, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Spiritual Warfare, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. A man saw a friend of his and asked how he was doing. Not so good, the friend replied. I'm a little confused. Why are you confused, the man asked. 
Well, at breakfast yesterday, my horoscope told me to do something, but then at supper last night, my fortune cookie contradicted my horoscope. Actually, I think that man's confusion began long before he got that conflicting advice. The Bible's advice for all who need guidance is not confusing at all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's guidance on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.